a world of superficiality. So part of superficiality is distraction. We get distracted by things that superficial things. And especially we get distracted by human nature is the beauty. Right? I think everyone agree the beauty distracts us. It could be beauty in a whole range of, of things. It could be beauty in beautiful people, um, beautiful foods, beautiful, a lot of beautiful things distract us. And in fact, um, we have really, we should, and, and, and that's really the, um, the whole, when we talk about like good and evil and choosing good and all the stories that we have from uh, Egypt, for example, being immoral and being superficial and Greece being immoral and superficial, like the, the, the Greek version of beauty, the definition of beauty was solely a superficial, physical, shallow beauty, right? That person can be strong when he's 28, but then when he turns 33, there's someone else who's strong again, right? It's a very shallow, uh, a short-lived type of, of, of beauty. So how does the Torah view beauty? Right, superficiality, as we said, and beauty are directly related. We get distracted at, by superficial, beautiful things, seemingly. So, how does the Torah view beauty? So, we're going to start with it. Okay. So, we know that um, it's interesting in the Torah. We find that when it comes to um, Sarah, Rivka, Rachel, the Torah tells us how beautiful they were, especially Rachel. It goes. It says, "Isha yifas toya, yifas mare." Exceedingly beautiful in appearance and in form. Now, you have to ask yourself, if every Friday night we sing Eshet Chayel, and we say we, the last verse of Eshet Chayel, right, is Sheker right? False is Chayn, and, and, and futile, and futile is beauty, right? It's, it's, what's important is Isha, Yiras, Hashem, Yitzhalal. Praiseworthy is the one who fears Hashem. So, on one hand, we find the Torah going to town, so to speak, of saying, describing how beautiful Rachel was and Rivka and Sarah, but on the other hand, and Esther in the Megillah to extend beyond the, the, the Torah. But on the other hand, uh, we sing every Friday night, So I heard from Rabbi Miller in Gateshead, and he said that um, we see that when Joseph went down, which is also this week's Pasha, so it fits in really well with today's Inyana Dioma, he went down to Egypt and he was in prison and Pari wanted him to come out of prison and Pari wanted to elevate him to be second in command. Now, there's a medrash that tells us that Pari and Joseph had a discussion because the law in Egypt was in order to be the king, you have to speak the 70 languages. And apparently, according to the medrash, Yosef could not comprehend the Egyptian language, whereas Pari couldn't comprehend Lashon HaKodesh, yeah. right? Right. And the question is, obviously, this is not face value because they communicated. So the, obviously they, they communicated. He interpreted his dreams. So obviously he could speak. So what does the Medrash mean? And so the Medrash says that Malach Gavriel, the angel Gavriel used to come. And he came to, to Joseph and, and um, taught him the 70 languages. And, and Yosef tried to teach um, Pari Lashakesh. But basically, Yosef could not comprehend it, and Pari couldn't, as much as Yosef couldn't comprehend the 70 languages, Pari could not comprehend Lashakesh. So what's going on? So he explains the following. 
When we talk about Lashon HaKodesh, the holy tongue, uh, um, biblical Hebrew, we know that God created the world through speech. Baruch She'amar V'hayah HaOlam. God spoke and then there was the world. There were Asarim Amores Nevroilam with 10 speeches, 10 pronunciations, God created the world. Right? As Shem said, He or, and then there was light. God spoke and there was. So, what that means is, is that from a spiritual perspective, the makeup of every physical item is, has a spiritual source that is, um, so to speak, contained in its letters, right? And then that, that emanates, it finds physical expression in, in a physical object, in a physical form. So, for example, say a table, right, according to... Uh, 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 according to um, Judaism and Kabbalah, what would a table be? It, it would really be a shin, lamet, chet, and nun, shulchan. That's what it is. It is in its essence, at its very source, it is a shin, lamet, chet, nun. But then, as we constrict and conceal God's light, right, all the way through the four worlds, atzila, bri, atzira, nasiya, that's a whole another Kabbalistic lesson, and the ten spirot, right, all the way from kesa and um, chokhmah, bina, which is the intellectual um, faculties, and then through the emotional ones, which are chesed, gevura, teferet, tesachoy, yisoyt, and finally malchus. We go through a process of concealment, simtsum, where God's blinding light gets concealed and more concealed and more concealed and more concealed until the physical object can find an expression in a physical form that it can feel independent from God. We explained this a few weeks ago that really God is a blinding light. He is the Ensof. Kabbalah refers to him as the Or Ensof in the way that we can comprehend. He's not, he's not literally light, but the way that metaphor, metaphorically speaking, we refer to him as the Or Ensof, infinite light, the blinding light. So imagine that we want to watch the World Cup qualifier, uh, Australia versus Jordan on, the big, uh, on our big projector screen. We would have to turn off all the lights in the room and shut all the blinds to be able to see the projector. As long as the lights are on and the windows are open, we're not going to see anything. It doesn't exist. So God had to dim, 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 turn off all the lights, turn off all the lights to allow us and physical, physical objects to, ha- to, to have the perception of independence. Now, if you listen to our Shi'ur soul's journey, we spoke all about true consciousness is, is, is from the soul and the body limits human consciousness. And the irony is that in death, we have expanded levels of consciousness. But that's not for today. What is for today is that the spiritual makeup of everything in this world comes from its letters. That is its life source, right? So therefore, coming back to uh, uh, what we spoke about Joseph. Joseph understood, Yosef HaTzadik, he understood, right? He was the son of Yaakov and Rachel. He was one of the Shiftekar, one of the 12 Shvatim of Hashem, right? Holy, holy, Tzadik Yisod Olam, very holy, uh, um, righteous Tzadik. And he understood every single thing in its source, in its source. So when he saw a table, he saw a shin lamad ches nun, right? So the rest of the world, all the other languages, and we have some very talented people here that, that were showing us before. They speak Greek and Italian and French and Arabic and, Hebrew and all sorts of languages. But all the languages of the world, which we would call the 70 languages, biblically speaking, they have objects and now they need to define what we should call them. So we, we, we wrote dictionaries to see what should we call this object. We have a table. Let's see. Let's call it a table in English. Let's call it a uh, tish in Yiddish, right? And in Arabic, we call it a... Taula. Taula, thank you. 
We have a chair, so we call it in English a chair, we ha- and we call it in English a, 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 a bankle. So each language decides what to call that object. But in coxie. Hebrew, sorry? Coxie. Coxie. But in Hebrew, Good. what's a coxie? Coxie. Is in? It's a chair. In, in Arabic. In Arabic, coxie is a chair. Coxie. Okay. So, but, so therefore, um, at, so therefore, it's like this. Paroi didn't understand any deeper, denied, me Hashem, my love, who is a God, Hashem, Yuzke Bavke, that I should believe in him, right? Who, who's that? Paroi only saw the Elikim aspect, right? Nature. He doesn't believe in any God, Yuzke Bavke, that controls nature, that's above, that's divine. So he cannot comprehend what Yosef is, is talking about, and Yosef can't comprehend what Paroi is talking about, because for Yosef, he only sees the source. So whatever Paroi is describing is going around the bush. Like, I don't know what you're talking about. Like, I, I understand Shilom Chesnun. When you talk to me about a table, I don't know what you're talking about, right? I understand the source of the, the essence of the object. Whereas Pari couldn't really understand that, so he couldn't communicate on a deep level. So basically, coming back to what we were saying, when we talk about beauty, it's a, it's, it's beauty is sheker. Beauty is, 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 uh, um, this is, is frowned upon and it's considered false, falsehood when it's a superficial beauty that doesn't represent anything beyond itself. And that's why you find in Hebrew the word davar, which means thing, and davar word are the same. Because in Hebrew, there is no word and thing. It's the same thing. The thing spiritually emanates from the word. Davar and davar, the dibor and davar are the same thing. Also panim, face, and panim, which means interior. The interior, right? Is the same word. So if the panim represents the panim, if the external beauty is projecting and reflecting an inner beauty, a beauty which we talked about on Shabbat weeks ago, that of Rachel, a beautiful beauty of a soul expression. When the soul finds full expression, every organ in the body takes on a new form of life. It's on fire with spirituality, right? You can do the same thing eating, drinking, sleeping. But if it's through a soul expression, it's going to take on a whole new form of life, a whole new dimension. So when the beauty is taking on a soul expression from the inner beauty of the person, the inner beautiful character, the modesty, the refined character, right? The sensitivity, the thinking of others, a beautiful person. If the external beauty reflects inner beauty, then it's hitisalal on both, on the external beauty and the inner beauty. I remember when I was in Yeshiva in Gateshead, one of the uh, one of my Rosh Hashiva would say a a a a, a vart. He would say that we say in on Shabbat before when we finish uh, before the end of the service Shabbat morning. He would say uh, the kaveh, and before we say the kaveh, we say Ein Sur Kelokeno, and and that can also be translated as Ein Sayor Kelokeno. There can be like Sur means rock, but you can translate it as um, no painter like God, because the world is such a beautiful painting in the sense that if you stand for a painting, you think that the more well done the painting, the more you think that it's real, the more real like, the more you think you're there. Hashem Shan, happy Hanukkah, good to see you. Um, today we have a VR headset, most of us don't know what that is. But it's like this gadget, Joanne knows, costs like a thousand dollars, and you put it on and you have a virtual reality. The kids, teens are playing on it all day, every day. 
and they're looking into these virtual reality goggles, glasses, and they're just, they have what we call oilimus, worlds and worlds of nonsense, right? And it's as if it's real, but it's so not real. You turn it off, doesn't exist. So God created a beautiful world that's a painting in the sense that if you just look at things face value, what you're seeing is um, as if you stood for a beautiful, beautiful painting. The more, the more, um, the, the, the greater the painting, more well done, the more you think it's, it's real. You look at a painting with a beautiful bridge and a lake and a swan and a blue sky and a sun and all that, and it just looks amazing. But it's, it's, you have to wake yourself up. You could be standing in the, in the um, you know, you go to the exhibition, and you, it sort of knocks you like, it's not real, right? Let's go to the next painting. So moving on to understanding the um, superficiality of the world. So Kabbalah has already taught us from Rosh Hashim Bayochai, which was, he lived 2,000 years ago, and obviously whatever he received is from our Torah, from our tradition, from Sinai. And Kabbalah Torah teaches us that every single object has a nefesh, a soul. We have five levels. We have doimem, semeach, chai, medabe, and then on top of that we have the Jewish soul a Jew. So basically a doimer means an inanimate object. A soimeach means a vegetation, right? Moving up the life chain. Then a chai is an animal. It lives. And a medaveir is a human that speaks. Um, and, it, and then you have a Jew which has a Jewish soul in him, right? Which is, we spoke already about this, that they are the, uh, the nation of priests that are uh, a holy nation, that were chosen by God with special spiritual powers that anyone can attain if they convert in order to conduct themselves a life of morality, 613 commandments, and many, many thousands of sub-commandments, to live a life of holiness, a life of separation, and to live by example and be held to a higher moral standard by God. Um, So each, according to Kabbalah, each object in the world, even a rock, has a nefesh. A nefesh has a soul. And the soul does two things. Number one, it gives life to that object. And number two, it connects all of the different parts of that object and helps it to function as a single object. Okay? Uh, like, let's say, a rock is held together or a plant. It grows and it expresses itself through its life cycle, etc., all through the soul. And we say every day in our prayers... That every day Tomit constantly God is recreating and sustaining the world, giving life, God is giving life force to the world. If for one second God would stop sustaining the world, giving giving a life force to the world, the world will cease to exist. Even for one second. Now science has just discovered this very recently. What has science discovered? The world is now made up of atoms. What are atoms? Atoms are basically a couple of different particles. So you have a proton and a neutron and an electron. The proton is positively charged and the electron is, a, is, is negatively charged and it spins a billion times a millisecond around the proton and because it's going so fast, it gives off the illusion of one single object called an atom, right? That's what, that, that's what it looks like to us. Now, the truth is 
the following, that the distance between the proton and the electron that's spinning around it, okay, is bigger than the distance if you put the proton in the middle of the MCG, which for our international viewers uh, is a, a, one of the biggest stadiums in the southern hemisphere, it's 120,000 spectators, then the electron will be so far, be outside the MCG. Some, some scientists even say it's between heaven and earth. But either way, the, 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 the actual atom consists of almost no matter, right? Almost no matter. What, what, what holds, holds the atom together and, and gives it the form and the appearance of a single solid object? The constant spinning, the electromagnetic force that's constantly ca- causing this electron to spin around the proton. But if for one second this electron would stop, the electromagnetic, uh, the electromagnetic force would stop, what would happen is all the matter in the world, all the actual physicality in the world, would only be the size of a P, according to Dr. Gerald Schroeder. The size of a P, which means that this world, right, if, if, that, and, and this world is not really real in the way that we think it is. That we, we, we look at it as parallel, as, as, as the Greeks look at it, a table, a solid table, a solid piece of metal, a big heavy boulder, a big rock. But if we put on our thinking, our King Solomon caps for a second, and we critically analyze what's happening, we notice that even according to science, if for once, first of all, it's, there's no solid things. It's just a facade, right? It's the illusion of, of atoms being solid and many, many atoms stuck together form a table, form physical objects. But if for one second that electromagnetic force would stop, it would end up to be nothing. There wouldn't be a world. Finished. Finished. And time only exists inside matter. So how insecure is time? Right? And David Manach writes this. We said it. Tweaks until him. David says, Yomov could sell over. Days are like a fleeting shadow. Now, simply understood, you look at that and say, yeah, time goes fast, shadows are fast. But that's not what it means on a deeper level. On a deeper level, I saw from Yaakov Asa in his book, Soul Searching, he explains that just like a shadow, you can never catch the shadow. They say you're chasing shadows. You try to catch shadow, you're chasing shadows. So time only exists between a past and a future. Try and touch time and you can't. It doesn't exist on its independently. It doesn't exist independently of a past and a future. And time, which doesn't exist only inside a past and a future, can only exist inside of matter, which itself only exists with electromagnetic force. So how insecure are our lives in relation to the absolute reality of God? Of God. Now, coming back to what Kabbalah said, let's now work back. Kabbalah said that what? Everything has a soul that gives it life, and the soul connects it, so let's understand that for a second. We just spoke about the atoms, that everything has a spiritual soul and the soul gives it life and connects all the parts, which is what we're seeing with the atoms, the, the, with, the, with the makeup of the atom, which is the protons and electrons and the electromagnetic force that's spinning. And if for one second, the electromagnetic force, which we would call God's will sustaining the electromagnetic force, then there will not be a world. And every second God re-wills, so to speak, is Mahave. He, re- he sustains, he re-wills the world into being. Every second God wills the world to stay into being. And this also explains a, a brilliant uh, dilemma a lot of people have. People often ask you, why do I pray every day the same tefillah three times a day? I did it yesterday. God already heard it yesterday. I did it again today. Every day the same three, one, every day. 
And the answer is, is that each second never ever existed before and will never exist again. It's an entire new reality. And that is why great Sadiqim, that's what Rabbi Melech of Majens, one of the greatest Hasidic masters, writes. He says clearly, how do Sadiqim, Kabbalists, and Hasidic masters manipulate nature? How do they give people blessings that someone's not well, and boom, they get the, the Rebbe's blessing, and they're better. They can't have a baby for 20 years. Boom, a bracha from the Baba Sali, from the Ben Shai, they're better. How does that happen? So he explains, because there are spiritual realities where every second is a new reality. And in the new world, that problem that you had in the past world doesn't exist. Right? And also with the spiritual world, that your problem only exists in the emanation of the physical form. Right? And because we're stuck in the physical form with our flesh and with our physical eyes, we can't get past our problems. But great Sadiqim with expanded levels of consciousness that can get outside of the physical manifestation of the, of the object and get higher into the expanded levels of consciousness, into the spiritual worlds, where in that place of pure light and revelation, there is no physical problem. The person isn't sick in the spiritual world. It's just as it, as it, as it emanates and manifests in the physical expression at the moment due to their sins or due to a blockage in the pipes, they, they are sick. But someone who can tap into the where, where the blockage is coming from in the higher spiritual worlds, right? They can unblock it at its source. So they call mamtika uh, dinim, uh, sweetening the dinim. So that's a little bit of, of the way the Hasidic masters explain it. So just to give a little bit of, of, of context, but it's not today's discussion, just an insight. So since we have established that everything has a soul, every single object, that is why we are so careful in Kabbalah and in Hasidot and, and in Judaism that we don't, we have something called Baal Tashchit, don't waste, which is a foreign idea to a lot of people. Why can't I waste? Like, what's the big deal? Today, everybody wastes, disposable, khatami, right? Khatami, everything, throw it in the bin. Unfortunately, people even think that relationships are khatami, which is very sad, right? It's having an effect on us, this khatami, this disposable lifestyle. But when we go past a beautiful flower, when we go past a living creature, whatever level of life chain it's on, whether it's inanimate object, whether it's vegetation, whether it's an animal, whether it's a human, whether it's a Jew, whatever it is, and even within Jews, there's many levels. I don't want to sound discriminatory, but but it's a God. We, we have a God-centered world, a God-centric world. So when you look at a God-centric world, you have a Jew, and you have a Levi, and you have a Kohen, and you have Kohen Gadol, right? You have many, many, many different categories. And, and it's not discriminatory because God was simple oneness, but he wanted to break up the oneness, so to speak, the perception of breaking up the oneness, to find a physical expression through Torah and Mitzvot, that God's knowledge and God's will should find physical expression through all sorts of different types of life forms. So therefore God created many, many, many types of souls and many types of people, whether they be Jewish, non-Jewish, even if they are Jewish, they could be a, a, a Yisrael, a Kohen, a Levi, a, a Ger. There are many, many, many different types because that's, God already had perfect unity. That wasn't the idea. The idea that was through all the separation, we can come back to the oneness, right? We said the other day, God created yesh, something, me'ayin from nothing, something from nothing, yesh me'ayin. And the Hasidic masters explained, our goal is to create, get back to the oneness. So we're going reverse. We're creating ayin a yesh. We're creating nothing from something. Meaning we're coming back to the oneness and not seeing the world as uh, dualistic but trying to see the oneness in everything. So through all of our 
all of our spiritual roles, whether it would be a Kohen, a Levi, a a non-Jewish person, whatever we would be, even all of the of nature, inanimate objects, every single object has a nefesh that is God is finding expression through their life and through their purpose, through their tafkid, to their role. So everything has a, has, an, has, has, has a role, whether it be a leaf or a flower or an animal, it has a purpose to, for God to find expression in the world. That's how God created it. You see what I'm trying to say? So it's not a discriminatory system. It's a system where we're trying to come back towards God's unity and bring all the parts together in one beautiful unison. Right? On that day, on that day, we say every day we finish the evening and I know, Hashem will be the king of all the world. And his name will be one. There'll be perfect oneness. It's all going to be the whole world serving God in one voice. We will all have one purpose and one unison mission, one objective, right? To have God, to serve God, and to realize his essence in everything. That And, and the thing about God is he's inside of us. Everything has a soul. So people look for God and they never find him. They're looking in the stars. They're looking in the, in the, in the halls of the philosophy department, a university, philosophy faculty. He's not there. God is in us. And, and unfortunately, the ego controls the mind. That's what the, the, the Rebbe from Bizetzner, the Kodesh HaTalmidim writes, known as Eish Kodesh. He writes, the ego controls the mind. We have to be able to silence the mind. Of course, the mind is important to, to discern to right or wrong. But you also have to silence the mind to get out of the ego, to feel the soul, to hear the soul speak, to allow the soul to, to express itself. If we're constantly in our overanalyzing mind, tied up in our ego, it controls what we think and how we think, and we can never realize our soul. So we, if we're looking for God, he's in here, right? Just try and meditate for half an hour and try to find it, and God will come out of your inner soul. Right, of, of you, of you. Okay, so if we choose to live like the Egyptians, where they didn't recognize UK Vavkei, the, the Egyptians in the times of Haroi, uh, yeah, okay. the, the, the Egyptian, the, not, not the Jewish ones today, the rude, the evil Egyptians in the times of Paroi, Paro, that they only saw beauty for beauty's sake. They didn't recognize a divine influence, a divine power, divine providence. If we look at beauty like Greece, where beauty was purely a shallow, superficial, short-term beauty, like that we spoke, the fly on the, the dead fly on the windowsill. Is the dead fly on the windowsill real? And the answer is yes, but no. Why yes? Yes, because you can touch him, you can see him, he's real, right? But no, because what's going to happen in five minutes or 10 minutes or a week or a month? It's going to decay and buy forever. The only thing that lives forever, that is eternal, right, is God. And because God's knowledge, which he put, he, he uh, condensed into the words of the letters of the Torah, and because God's will, which he put, he dressed up in the mitzvot, they are an inseparable part of God because God is one. God isn't like humans where we are we have our mind and our body, and then there's knowledge external to us, and we take external knowledge and try to think it with our bodies. Knowledge and God and God and his will are all one. It's not external to him. It's part of him. So when we learn Torah, what we are doing, says the Hasidic masters, the Tanya and others, we are, we are becoming one with God. It's like Chatan Kala in the Yichud room. But it's the, he's, the Tanya explains it's the greatest sense of Yichud, oneness. Because Chatan and Kala are in a world of time and space and they're still 
physically close, but they're still separate. They're two different bodies. But when you bring God's knowledge into your mind, you become one. With, it's part of you, part of your mind. Part, you're absorbed by it. It's completely part of you. It becomes part of your thought patterns, your thought process, part of your memory. God becomes part of you. When you learn Torah, you become one with God. That lives forever. That's that's That is the tree of life to those that grab it. Tree of life, it lives forever. God's will is part of him. God dresses, puts his will in the mitzvot, in the commandments. He says, this is my will. Put on tefillin. Put on tzitzit. Today I went... So how come Sadiqin don't live forever? They do. They do with the neshama. Because that was because of Adam HaRishon. When he sinned, he initially was going to live forever. But when he sinned, we got, God said, you're going to die. That was one of the curses of Adam HaRishon, one of the repercussions. But I went this morning to the beach and uh, uh, for a cold therapy, dip in the cold. And I had my bathers on. I had my tzitzit on top, right? And I thought to myself, and there's non-Jews watching me. You know, I thought to myself, God's will is in these tzitzit. This is his will. This will lives forever, right? My feelings, how short-term are they? So I feel bad for one minute, two minutes, five minutes. Maybe I feel bad for an hour. Go home, I feel a bit bad. But do I want to be part of the eternal plan? I have a chance. The Vilna Gaon, when he was on his deathbed, held the tzitzit and he cried. And the Talmidim, the students asked him, why are you crying? And he said, such a simple mitzvah in this world of tzitzit is worth, it's invaluable in the world to come. Invaluable. You are, you are part of God forever, forever, right? So what I'm saying is, is that we have the opportunity to see the world superficially like Greece. And we have, we have no short... We are not short of opportunities today um, through Instagram, Facebook, um, YouTube, TV, Netflix. Uh, you just name the platform and the world is presenting itself in very superficial ways to us, right? It doesn't give us a second to think, to critically analyze. And in fact, what happens when Jacob, Yaakov, he grabs the Sasha Esau, the spiritual angel of Esau, the, the, the evil in the world, right? The spiritual angel that governs evil in the world. They had a big fight, Adorosa Shachar, right? And then the angel knocks him on the on the thigh. We don't eat the Gidanasha till today. Jews don't eat Gidanasha because of that, right? But what did the Esau, what did Yaakov ask, ask the spiritual angel of Esau? What did he ask him? He said, tell me your name. He wanted to let him go. He says, no, tell me your name. He says, why are you asking me my name? And they, the commentaries explain because he says, why are you asking me my name, right? What's he answering? The answer is, I don't have a name. The Yetzirah, the evil inclination, the Satan, doesn't have a name. That is his shtick. You can never pin him down like a shadow. He constantly changes and presents himself in this form and in that form. And today I look like this and tomorrow I look like that and this new fad and this new shtick and this new... Constantly, constantly. A 15-second soundbite on TikTok, a five-minute video on YouTube... Constantly changing every second, right? I dressed up like this. What happened in, in, in Yosef? We studied on Shabbat. His Eshes Potiphar, every single Shabbat. Hi, Alex. Happy Hanukkah. She every day, multiple times, re-perfumed, re-makeup, redressed herself to try and seduce him. Always changing. You can never pin me down. I'm always changing. I'm superficial. I'm superficial. So we can live like that. And there are many people who live like that. We're only a human Leave me alone. I'll do whatever I want, whatever I feel like. And the repercussions for that are a disaster for society. Suddenly, life has no value. Suddenly, we get into all sorts of problems. 
you know, uh, 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 philosophical problems with, with our, the way our Judeo-Christian legal systems have been set up when for the last 2,000 years euthanasia has been a problem, abortion has been a problem, uh, marriage, all, all of these issues suddenly start to become problems when we see ourselves as nothing more than a physical body doing whatever we want to do. In God's, in God, in a God-centric world, what happens is, is that we're trying to build a world in God's image, which is a world of love and kindness, where we think outside of ourselves. It's not how we feel, what we want, right? How we, so to speak, uh, want to be perceived and everything about me and I and I and me and I. It's about seeing outside of ourselves, about seeing others. If we are constantly only stuck in our own ego, we're not going to create the space or the room for God to be able to come in our lives. That's why it says that Hashem, to Allah Hashem, he will go away. I cannot dwell in the same house as an arrogant person. Simply put, it sounds like, well, you're arrogant. I don't have anything to do with you. But why? There are many of erots. God doesn't say I don't have anything to do with you. Why only arrogance? But the answer is simple. If you're arrogant, there is no space for God. There's, no, there's only space for you. If you have an expanded perspective, a broader perspective, you can see outside of yourself. You can help others. You think of others. You can help in your relationship, help your spouse, help your kids. All these commandments that God gives us to get married, to have children, to give charity, they're about thinking outside of ourselves. That's how you become godly because God, in essence, is a creator and a giver. And if you want to be in a spiritual world, there's no time and space. There's no physical proximity. So how do you become close in a spiritual sense? The Kabbalists explained, the Rabchal and the Kabbalists, Ari Kaplan explains that what? Spiritual closeness in, in, in a spiritual world is only through similarity and resemblance. So let's think about this a second. If you're a creator and a giver, you are similar to God and close to him, right? And there's no time and space. So if you're far, you're always far forever. You can never, there's no way to come close. But if you're a taker and an indulger and a waster, you are Far from God. You are opposite from God. Very dissimilar. No resemblance. So people say, why can't I do what I want? And the answer is, you can. You can do, you can be wasteful, have very superficial encounters, go on Tinder, meet a hundred people, do whatever you want. But you are going to be the, you are creating your own person to be the opposite to God. So for eternity, you and God are far, far, far away. You are opposites from each other. Right? But if you become a creator and a giver, right? And we can understand why people have children. Because giving as having a child, you give charity to one after a person, big mitzvah, yeah, big mitzvah. Gave a guy a hundred bucks, a thousand bucks. You have a kid, he can live for a thousand, he can give more have more kids, he can live on for a thousand generations since David Amalak's times. Imagine the act of giving, having children. And imagine having one child, and I'm not advocating for, you know, but everyone should have many as they can have. But imagine one versus ten. If you had 10 children, imagine your reward in heaven, the royalties that you're going to receive when they, for a thousand generations, each have children. The type of giving is unmeasurable compared to just one act of loving your dog. It's just not the same giving from a godly and Kabbalistic perspective. As we move on, I'm going just to discuss a little, little, a little bit about Hanukkah because tonight is the last night of Hanukkah. And Hanukkah is really this whole, this, this whole Indian. Sfas Emet, the Ger Rebbe, explains that what is the Chanukia made out of? We have the, uh, the Shemen, the oil, the Psyles, the wick, and the Ner, the candle. And the, 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 which means that Ner is Nun, 
the Rosh Hashanah, the first line of each of these words are, Ner is Nun, Pesolet, the wick is Fe, Neth, and Shin for Shemen, Nefesh. Our whole discussion will be about the Nefesh. So therefore he says that we spoke about Hanukkah being different to the other festivals. The other festival, festivals, Pesach, Sukkot, Shavuot, um, God suspends the laws of nature, opens up the heavens on Shavuot, we all see God. Pesach splits the sea. There's no more laws of nature. Suspended. Sukkot, clouds of glory, food falling from heaven. Mon, falling from heaven. There's no more laws of nature. But Hanukkah is a completely different festival. The laws of nature are all in place, but yet we find God concealed in nature, which is what the Ramban writes, that God is, everything is a miracle. There's such a thing as nature. God is nature, but he's concealed in nature, meaning that we have, we refer to God as in Yudke Vavke, we spoke in the beginning, the Ein Sof, the simple light. Pashut Amiti Atzmut Umhut. In his essence, simple light, God is Yudke Vavke, we refer to him. His name is Yudke Vavke, which is all four corners of the world. Uh, all six corners, up and down, and, and all, all four corners. All before, after, hoya, hoya, via, he was, he will be, always will be, all corners of the world, God is everything. But then, God conceals that light, the infinite, oyer and soif, and creates elokim, nature. Elokim is gematria numerically as hateva, nature. That's what the Rebellion explains, hateva. So God is concealed in the nature. But God's in the nature. He hasn't run away, he's in the nature. And that's how he explains, chanu, chanu means to dwell, chanu means to dwell, or to settle, or to, or to encamp. And, Kafei means koi, means, which was the name of the Shechina. The Shechina, God's presence, God's presence in, in this world, which is God's presence concealed, is considered koi. Is the name is koi. Chanu koi. God, the Shechina, God's presence in this world, dwells here, in everything. Chanukah. God dwells in everything. So that was the miracle. The miracle was that within the laws of nature, God was there where 6,000 Jews formed the militia, went to retreated to the Judean hills, Judean deserts, and took on the mightiest civilization and army the world had ever known. They lived for a th- over a th- the Greek Empire lasted over a thousand years. And I'm, I'm going to say this again. I'm going to say this again. The miracle of Hanukkah, which we celebrate, was one war. But within that five-year period, there were between six and eight Ooh. wars. And between the 60-year period, there was up to eight, nine, <laughs> ten wars. And think about Ooh. the mighty Greek Empire. Nothing stopped the Greek Empire, nothing. They were there for a thousand years. It wasn't a one war, Hanukkah. There was 127 years of Hasmonean dynasty. 127 years. And there were wars going on until at least uh, 60 years into it. And even in the end, there was still, Greece always was trying to have, to have exert dominance until Rome came along and then they tried to exert dominance. So God was in nature, not just for one war. We're talking about in everything, if we are here today, every Jew that has survived the 3,300 years since Sinai, the 2,000 years of exile, is a Hanukkah candle, is a Hanukkah miracle. Every Jew that is in this room that is alive today is a Hanukkah miracle. And that's why every Jew has such a beautiful relationship with Hanukkah. Because unlike the other festivals that we said, uh, uh, um, Sukkot and Shavuot, not every Jew comes and celebrates that. But Hanukkah, every Jew, every Nefesh, every Jew, no matter how much they are concealed in nature, no matter how much they consider themselves to be, um, you know, they don't find so much Jewish expression, they're more assimilated, whatever it is, every Jew finds Hanukkah is the one Yom Tov, the one Chag, the, the one festival that they can relate to. Why? Because of the Nefesh. It shows the godliness in everything. Every Jew flickers with godliness. But the question is, 
the Jew, the God's promise to the Jewish people is you're going to survive. It's an eternal promise. Um, and maybe we might do this sure. I want to do seven wonders of Jewish history from Aisha Torah. I want to do that in the next couple of weeks. We'll see if we get around to it. But one of the wonders is God says, despite all your exiles, you're going to be an eternal nation. You're always going to be there. There will always be Jews. from my covenant, day and night Jews learning and, and fulfilling my will. There won't be a world. The, the world will cease to exist. I'll stop continuously standing the world, like we said before. So the promise of the Jews is that there's going to always be a Jewish people. But each individual has to decide, do you want to be part of that journey? Do you want to survive? It's up to us. The Greeks tried. They weren't successful. The Assyrians tried. Um, the Babylonians tried to wipe us out, to eradicate God's law. The Jewish tradition, the Jewish culture, the Jewish heritage. The Persians tried. The Greeks tried for 100, 200 years first through Hellenization nicely with a smile and then through force. And the Romans again tried the same thing all the way through history, right? We went all the way, we started the Egyptian exiles in 1956. The expulsion from Egypt, the expulsion from Spain, the expulsion from Portugal, expulsion from France, expulsion from England, expulsion from Germany. So we have to decide, do we want to be part of that, of that, of, do, do we want our candle to burn and not be extinguished? It's not just what the non-Jews try and do, it's what we try to do. Do we cherish our heritage? Do we value our traditions, our Jewish culture, right? Do we value our relationship with God? Is that important to us? Do we want to be part of the eternal plan, right? To have eternal reward, God as source of all pleasure and for eternity to be close to him, to be similar to him, to bask in his light, which is, we described from the other day, the other lecture, the soul's journey, how there's nothing. We spoke to our Desla and we, spoke, we, we also read one of the NDE's experiences. There is nothing that could compare in the physical world to basking in God's nurturing light. It was just such a sense of peace and oneness and tranquility. Nothing, and Odessa writes, every experience of every human that ever lived, compiled, doesn't come to one second of the world to come. So therefore, Hanukkah is the idea that the Jewish nefesh, the Jewish soul burns bright, that God is in nature, God is running the show, and we spoke about the Sefirot. The highest one is Keser, which is God's will. Crown. Keser is crown, which is God's will. Because everything we do, all of our midot, our knowledge and our midot, whether we, we use Hava, love, or Yira, or fear, or whatever we do, charity, it's all coming from our Ratzon, from our will. Our will. All of our midot and our intellectual faculties work on behalf of our will. We have a will. Say we want to donate money. Then the brain and the body work to donate the money, but they work for the will. So Keser is God's will, the crown. And the, the lowest one is Malchus, kingship. Ein melech there's no king without a nation. So the Jewish people give God, we crown God when we say, you are our king. We do a mitzvah. God, you are our king. Baruch atah Hashem. We like the menorah. Blessed you are God. Elokeinu melech ha'olam. Our God, the king, king of the world. He crowned us, made us holy and separate to, to do the mitzvah of Hanukkah. Now, if we wouldn't do the mitzvah, there would be no king. It's only a king because the Jewish people decide to crown him and to be his nation. So as long as we are his nation, God is our king. This is why Hanukkah is so special. Because I said before that, that for God, it's no kunst, no shtick, no chidosh. It's not a trick to split the sea. God can do anything. God, the fact that there's angels in the Shemaim, in the four left spiritual worlds, Atzila, Bri, Atzira, angels, there's heavenly creations, um, and you have 
um, great tzaddikim like Rambam, who are just basking in, in light. God can do anything. But what is really, uh, what is the kunz? What is the amazing achievement? What is the, what is the, the shtick? Is that we, we are the most furthest away from God, living in, in the world of concealment, in the Elikim, in the Hester, in the Astara, in the concealment. And we acknowledge God's presence in this world, in this lowly world, in the materialistic world, the Gashmistic world. We recognize and acknowledge and want a relationship with God and, and, and bring out and reveal God's light through the mitzvot. That is the trick. And that is Hanukkah. Why? Because Hanukkah connects the highest sphere with the lowest sphere. Why? Because the lowest sphere, Malchus, is the lowest. Now, we have 613 biblical commandments and seven rabbinical ones that the rabbis added on. For example, we have Purim, Megillah, we have Alakot Nerot Shabbat, we have Hallel, we have Mithrat Yadayim, we have Birchat Anenin. And the final one that we have is Chanukah. It was the last mitzvah that the, the rabbis instituted. And therefore, it's the last one. The last is Malchus. The, the last threat is Malchus, represents the last. But at the same time, what does 613 plus 7 equal? 620, which is Keser, the numerical value, the matrix of Keser, which is 620. Kaf, Taf, Resh. Kaf is 20. Taf, Resh is 4 and 2. It's 600. 620. So we have a perfect Zivuk, marriage, and Yichud room between the lowest of the low, Chanukah, the last, last, last mitzvah, the lowest, lowest, stira, malchus, and keser, and the highest, which is the whole point of creation, that we should be, God should conceal his light and allow us to find him, to want to choose our relationship with him in a world of darkness, and but reveal God's light and the soul in us and the soul in every object, inanimate object, vegetation, animals, people, the soul in everything in the world, and reconnect and reveal and acknowledge God's light and through that have a relationship with him. That was the whole tachlis of creation, that you should be able to have a relationship with me. If God would just say, here, here's your reward, and we wouldn't have to uh, go through the challenge of finding him through the concealment, then we wouldn't enjoy it because we wouldn't have earned it. So we, we earn it by going through the, the, turning the darkness into light, going through the challenges, and then having that satisfaction and appreciation at the end of the journey. Wow, what a beautiful life that we lived. Look how we became one with God's knowledge. We incorporated God's knowledge into our into our person, into our neshama, and we became godlike, and we gave God expression in the world, God's knowledge expression. We did the mitzvot, we became godlike through the mitzvot, we refined our characters, we were good to other people, we were charitable, we were kind, we were giving, we were creators, right? We were givers, and wow, we gave God's will expression in the world. We found God from this concealment, within the concealment. That is Chanukah. To conclude, the Sas Emma says that the nefesh of, of Shemen, Pasul, uh, the Pasul, the wick, and the, uh, the Nair, um, he says that that's why he explains the eight day, the eight day miracles. The first day, there was, there was, there was, no, there was oil burnt for eight days, but only seven were a miracle. The first day, there was enough oil. So we said last week, the one, one answer is that it, it only burned one eighth each day. So each day was a miracle. But, but another way to explain is the following. He, the way we just explained from Stas Emes is the following, that the miracle was that the Jews recognized God. 6,000, uh, uh, Matiziah and his five sons went, retreated to the Judean desert, took on a war. They had no chance. That was, the odds statistically were zero. Nisht, shevanisht, we say in Yiddish. Impossible. Imeglech, impossible. You're finding the greatest, mightiest superpower that ever existed. 
and you 6,000 men and they had six, seven wars. The Greeks came with 50,000, then with 120,000, then with another 35,000. We're talking about hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of thousands of Greek soldiers and horses and elephants, whatever, the, whatever you need, right? And they couldn't get the job done because God fought the war, but the Jews had to, had to physically go out and do it, but then God gave them to win. So therefore, he says, the nest of Hanukkah was that, that we chose God. That was the nest, that we chose God. I, the eight candles, the menorah, and that's why the menorah is not mentioned in the prayer. We say Allah Nisim, we say, we say in, in the Allah prayer, we don't mention the Hanukkah. Why? Why? The whole avodah, the whole, the whole uh, uh, mitzvah of, of Hanukkah is the light of the menorah, so why don't we mention it in the prayer? So, so he explains, because the miracle of, of, of Hanukkah and the prayer is celebrating that we chose God. So what, what do we do with the eight candles? The answer is that God accepted us. God says, yes, I'm smiling at you. Eight days. It's going to be a miracle. I approve that you chose me. I bring you back to the temple where my presence was clear as day. You could see God in the temple, right? All the, all the miracles we spoke. The Greek, soul, the Greek generals tried to enter the temple. They dropped dead at the door repeatedly, which is why no one believed that the Romans would be successful 200 years later. If a Kohen Gadol, the, the Mishnah says in Yuma, they used to tie, it, tie a rope every Yom Kippur around the Kohen Gadol's um, ankle, because if he wasn't worthy, he would drop dead in the Holy of Holies. Kodesh HaGashim. God's presence was there and it was tangible. So God smiled eight days and said, yes, I accept you. You chose me. I accept you. I accept you. And that symbol of the eight days, that symbol of eight days lasts forever. And God told Aaron a coin when Aaron was upset. Shem said, you're going to get the menorah. It will last forever. And they explained it will last forever because the Jews will light menorah even when we haven't got a temple. We always light the Jewish Hanukkah, the Jewish light flickers on, it burns on forever. It's a, it's a promise to the Jewish people, but are we going to choose to be part of that promise? I have something uh, a little bit just going on about the first day being a miracle is that the temple's been destroyed. Yep. There's like dead pigs and blood and terrible things everywhere, Absolutely. but they chose to go in and choose God. Exactly. Well said. Beautiful. Um, how about... Uh, Ruben, anything you want to comment? Anything? Actually, tonight has been wonderful. So, Thank you know, the creme de la creme of your teaching so far, it's, it's wonderful. Um, it's been a line of thought I've been involved with for some time. Look, just briefly, when I was back 19, you know, 50, 51 years ago, I was out in Australian desert. It was totally silent. There was nothing happening out there. Yeah, I was out in the desert, nothing happening. There wasn't a sound. Uh, not even the, was, the air wasn't stirring. And yet, and I wasn't there with any religious notions or anything, but the landscape spoke to me. It wasn't just thoughts. It was actually words happening in here explaining itself to me. And it's only these last few words when somebody dropped the fact that Dvar means both word and thing. I, yeah. it, it came together. Uh, it, it, if ever there's a meaningful teaching I've had out of, you know, all the Hebrew scriptures, it's, it's that one point because it gives the world a whole, well, it gives us a whole different feel for the world and how we should be in this world. Absolutely. Yeah, so thank you for that. It's, it's been tremendous and very relevant. Thank you. And, and that's exactly right. You hit the bullseye. And the Rambam actually explains, and the Hasidic masters, we look at the world to see God's greatness. Teddy, how are you? 
to see yeah. God's greatness. We look at the world to see God's exaltedness, right? The, the, the awesomeness of God, and that should humble us. And now that we look at it through, this, through a spiritual eyes, the eyes of the soul, and we see everything as a, as a soul expression, um, you know, then, um, and, and the great masters saw reincarnations in everything. They saw flowers with human mm-hmm. souls. So, you know, you look at the world and, and it's talking, King Solomon, he spoke all the languages, right? He spoke the language of the, of the flowers and the birds. and the, It's like unbelievable. The world takes on a whole new dimension, a whole new meaning. So true. Yeah, thank you. Hi, Joe. Very, very good, your shul today. Thank you. So, congratulations. And Shekhoya, um, very nice to hear you, like, with passion. This is very nice, bro. Yes. And so, I, 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 I just would like to ask you something. Yeah. Um, is something related with numbers about Hanukkah? Like, number eight, I don't know. Yes, something. yes, eight. Very important point, and we have here, Teddy, thanks for coming. You hear a beautiful Zatara. Eight represents the supernatural, the miraculous. Seven is the world of nature. Seven represents the seven days of the week. It's all within the world of nature. And so eight represents the miraculous. So basically, eight is always the world outside of the, the, of, of, of the natural. It represents beyond the natural. So for example... Uh, that's the Nestle Hanukkah, eight. It's a supernatural. So, for example, a baby has the bris on the eighth day. And we spoke about um, immorality, that why does the baby have the bris on the reproductive organ? Because a, a, a Jew's entire morality in the world is defined by reproduction. And through the Kabbalistic understanding that we spoke tonight, we understand. The whole point of creation is to earn a reward. How do you earn a reward? How do you bask in God's... Uh, and blinding light and God's nurturing oneness only by becoming similar to him. What's the number one way to be similar to God? To be similar to him. How do you become similar? By being a creator. So the reproductive organ is the most important part of a Jew's life, which is why the Brit Kodesh, the Holy Covenant, is on that part of the body. It should be on the face. Everyone can see it. Or somewhere on the hand, on the nose. Why on that part of the body? But because the way a Jew conducts his life is in time morality, Shmirat Brit, guarding the covenant. How do you, where do you look? What do you think? Right? Or a Jew has to have, be very, very careful. And be, in order to give a Jew the power, the koach, to overcome this absolutely terrifying nisayon challenge of Shmirat Brit, it's a very hard challenge. One of the hardest challenges you can have is to be careful, you know, in this, in this area of your life. We have to go to the eighth day. We have to, it's a supernatural, so it's on the eighth day, and we have to go through a Shabbat, because we have to have a Shabbat before we can have a bris, to give us that extra spiritual boost, that, that energy, that, that Kedusha of Shabbat, and the eighth day that represent that a Jew can, a Jew can, just like Shabbat is holy, we get a Shammai Yisera, we get extra spiritual powers, right, in Shabbat, so too, the eighth day represents the supernatural, it's the miraculous, and that every Jew, if he just tries, if you can't be purified, I will help you, I will assist you. So if you try, God will help you. So yes, miracle of Hanukkah is eight days, represents the supernatural, the miraculous. That's awesome. That's awesome. Thank you so much. No worries. Thank you. All right. Well, thanks so, so much for coming. Happy Hanukkah to everyone. And keep the flame burning. And... Um, Hopefully we'll see you for some more inspiration next week. Um, and as I said, don't think I'm the inspiration. Every Jew that comes to this discussion, this Q&A, this round the table, this Zoom, 
is the inspiration. I was thinking in my car on the way back from the beach this morning. It's an inspiration that our Hanukkah candles are burning. We're sitting here because of Vivian in 1967 had an inspiration to create a, a Bet Knesset and she's after, after what happened in, in the exiles of Egypt. So the candles are burning because of our parents and our grandparents. So each one of us that comes in 2021, you're all inspirations and you should know that, you should believe that. We all have a piece of God inside us. We are all godly. If we appreciate, if we love ourselves the same as God loves us, we appreciate our godly soul the way that that God appreciates it. We would be dancing with joy all day, every day, appreciating us, appreciating our friends. We're all a piece of God. That's the real us. And what lives forever, what matters forever, eternity, is your mitzvot, your kindness, your goodness, your Torah. So we're all a piece of God. That's who we really are. We're all a soul in our essence.